I want to first start with telling you all thank you. Uh, so many of you knew that our oldest son, Gideon, had surgery this week on his broken arm. Uh, and so I just wanted to thank you for all the demonstrations of care, uh, people praying, people checking uh, on how things were going, people providing food, uh, all of the different ways that people have cared for us. And then when you pair that with the uh, honoring of me for pastor appreciation and the gifts that were given uh, and the kind words that were spoken last week, just thank you. It, it has been a demonstration of of love that uh, means so much to, to me and to my family. We are created for community. Our triune God has existed eternally in community as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we who have been created in God's image are created for community with others. This is why we long for meaningful relationships with other people. This is why loneliness is so hard and painful because we are created for community. As the elders have been talking through, discussing the, the future of Dogwood Church and the things that we believe we need to be pursuing here uh, for Dogwood Church, community is one of those aspects that we believe is vitally important. Not just for Dogwood, but for all of Christians, community is vitally important. And so we've been talking through, what does that look like here? How can we pursue community here with our brothers and sisters in Christ? How can we build those deep and meaningful relationships? And so we've got the first step in that is our community circles that we've been announcing the last couple of weeks. I want to encourage you. Be a part of those if you're able. It's three Sunday nights. Be a part of those if you're able, just as a first step in revisiting the significant importance of relationships with one another here in this church uh, for God's glory. And so please, if you haven't filled that out yet and you've been kind of on the fence, I want to encourage you, fill out the, the form. Be a part of those for those three weeks. Uh, I truly believe it will be a blessing to each of us. Because community is so important, because it is what God desires and how he desires to work in us, uh, today's text is, uh, is important because it's going to show us God rebuilding the community. Uh, now that's part of what we've been seeing, this theme throughout Nehemiah, uh, we've got just a few more weeks left in Nehemiah, but we've been seeing God restoring the community of people in the place that he has for them. Uh, and in today's text, we're going to see more of the characteristics of the kind of community that God is building, the kind of community that God desires for his people. So turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Nehemiah 11. The sermon is titled, God's Recreated Community. I'm going to read the, the chapter for us. Now, we've got this week and next week, we have another list of names for part of the text. Uh, and I know that some of this may feel a little bit redundant of like, okay, we've walked through list of names multiple times now, but we do want to uh, honor God's word with, with the reading of all the text and so uh, today we're going to look at Nehemiah 11 and 
consider things about God's recreated community and what that means for us here at Dogwood. Nehemiah 11, now the leaders of the people stayed in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots for one out of ten to come and live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the other nine-tenths remained in their towns. The people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. These are the heads of the province who stayed in Jerusalem, but in the villages of Judah, each lived on his own property in their, own t- in their towns. The Israelites... Priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants, while some of the descendants of Judah and Benjamin settled in Jerusalem. Judah's descendants, Athiah, son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Shephatiah, son of Mahalalel, of Perez's descendants, and Maaseah, son of Haziah, son of Adiah, son of Joriab, son of Zechariah, a descendant of the Shilonite. The total number of Perez's descendants who settled in Jerusalem was 468 capable men. These were Benjamin's descendants. Salu, son of Meshulam, son of Joed, son of Padiah, son of Kaliah, son of Maaseah, son of Ithiel, son of Jeshiah, and after him, Gabai and Salai, 928. Joel, the son of Zikri, was the officer over them, and Judah, son of Hasanua, was second in command over the city. The priest, Jediah, son of Joreb, Jachin and Sariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Meshulam, son of Zadok, son of Marioth, son of Ahitub, the chief official of God's temple, and the relatives who did the work, and their relatives who did the work at the temple, 822. Adiah, son of Joram, son of Peliah, son of Amzai, son of Zechariah, son of Pashur, son of Malchijah and his relatives, the heads of the families, 242. Amashai, son of Azarel, son of Azai, son of Meshilamoth, son of Emmer, and their relatives, capable men, 128. Zabdiel, son of Hagadolim, was their chief. The Levite, Shemaiah, son of Hashub, son of Az- Azrakam, son of Hashabiah, son of Bunai, son of Je- Shabbathai, and Jazabad from the heads of the Levites, who supervised the work outside the house of God. Madaniah, son of Micah, son of Zabdi, son of Asaph, the one who began the thanksgiving in prayer. Bakbukiah, Second among his relatives, and Abda, son of Shemua, son of Galal, son of Jejuthun, and all the Levites in the holy city, 284. The gatekeepers, Akab, Talmon, and their relatives who guarded the city gates, 172. The rest of Israel, the priests and the Levites, were in all the villages of Judah, each on his own inherited property. The temple servants lived in Ophel, Ziha, and Gishba supervised the temple servants. The leader of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, son of Benai, son of Hashabiah, son of Madaniah, son of Micah, of the descendants of Asaph, who were the singers for the service of God's house. There was, in fact, a command of the king regarding them and an ordinance regulating the singers' daily task. 
Pathiah, son of Meshezabel, of the descendants of Zerah, son of Judah, was the king's agent in every matter concerning the people. As for the farming settlements with their fields, some of Judah's descendants lived in Kirath Arba and Dibon and their surrounding villages and Jechebazil and its settlements and Jeshua, Malada, Bethpelet, Hazer Shual, and Beersheba and its surrounding villages, in Ziklag and Mekona and its surrounding villages, and in Imran, Zorah, Jarmuth, and Zenoah and Agilom with their settlements, in Lachish and its fields, and Azekah and its surrounding villages. So they settled from Beersheba to the Hinnom Valley. Benjamin's descendants from Geba, Michmash, Aijah, and Bethel and its surrounding villages. Anathoth, Nob, Aniah, Hazor, Ramah, Gedim, Hadid, Jeboim, Nabalat, Lod, and Ono in Craftsman's Valley. Some of the Judean divisions of Levites were in Benjamin. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the community of Dogwood Church. We pray that... Uh, that your word today challenges us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you work in our hearts and minds for us to understand, for us to believe, and for us to respond accordingly, God. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So today's text shows us God has, he's bringing his people back into community. Now the people have come back into the land. We've seen them come back to the land, rebuild the walls, and people have been settling in all of the surrounding towns and villages, but there are not many people that are actually living in Jerusalem. And the challenge for The people of God in Jerusalem, where the city of God, where people of God can meet with him, can worship him rightly and can be a light to the world. If there are not people there to do the work of the city, there are not people there to protect the city, then all the work for building up the walls was for nothing. And so they have to rebuild, restore the community of people in Jerusalem so that they can accomplish the purposes that God has for them. So God is creating his people for this. He's working in his people for this. And I think today this is going to challenge us as the people of God where we are with the kind of community that he desires for us here at Dogwood Church. And we are going to see some overlap to some of the things that we've already looked at Uh, previously in Nehemiah, but helpful to be reminded of. So the first is this. God's recreated community lives sacrificially for others. God's recreated community lives sacrificially for others. I'm going to read the first four verses, uh, and then we're going to talk about some of the wording that we see here. Now the leaders of the people stayed in Jerusalem... And the rest of the people cast lots for one out of ten to come and live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the other nine-tenths remained in their towns. The people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. These are the heads of the province who stayed in Jerusalem, but the villages, but in the villages of Judah each lived on his own property in their own towns. The Israelites, priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants, while some of the descendants of Judah and Benjamin 
settled in Jerusalem. So walls are rebuilt, not many people are there, and they have to repopulate. And so they determine how to do that by casting lots with all the people of God. Essentially, we would say like drawing straws. Uh, now, it's important that we understand they were not doing this as a way to just leave it up to chance. We view kind of drawing straws as you draw the short straws like, oh man, you're the one that's got to do... <laughs> Do this just by chance. It's just how it happened to fall. Uh, they did this, the uh, casting of lots, as a way to determine this is God's will. God's going to show us His will and who's going to come and live here. And so they are casting lots and letting God dictate. This is the individual who, of these ten, this is the individual who is going to come and live in Jerusalem. But to come and live in Jerusalem was going to be a dangerous task. It was going to be a hard task. It was not a glamorous task because of all that the city faced. And so the wording in verse 2 the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. The word there in Hebrew is actually uh, a word that's used for military purposes. The, the word for those who volunteered to live in Jerusalem, it's actually the word for those who willingly stood on the front line. Uh, so when they, in other passages in the Old Testament, talking about the people who would stand on the front lines of battle, that's the word that is used. And so it's a military word. Now, these are not soldiers. They may have to act as soldiers to defend the city, but they're not soldiers. But they're being spoken of because the task that God is giving them and their willingness to say, I will serve in that capacity, it is a dangerous task. And so they are willingly stepping into the front lines, the hard part of the work that God has for them. And then we see some other language uh, in the chapter, verse 6 and verse 14. The total number of Perez's descendants who settled in Jerusalem was 468 capable men. 14. And their relatives, capable men, 128. Zabdiel, son of Hagadolim, was their chief. Two times the word capable men is there. That also is a military term. Some of your translations may translate it, which kind of captures more of the military term there. Valiant men, men of valor. The men who were going to live in Jerusalem, the people who were going and saying, I will serve in this capacity, are putting themselves in harm's way. Not because it was such a glamorous thing to go to Jerusalem, but because it was good for the community of, of God's people and because it was God's will. And so those military terms there are helping us kind of capture that aspect of sacrificial living for the good of others. That's what these individuals were willing to do. I would rather be on my land that my ancestors worked 
But if God has a different plan for me, I will stand the front lines. I'll answer that call. I will do the hard and non-glamorous task. God was calling them to it, and it was for the good of the community as a whole. So the people of God were willing to step into that hard work. We're moved by stories of people who sacrificially give of themselves for the good of others. We often see them in, uh, in military stories. We celebrate those stories throughout history uh, where you hear the story of like people essentially going on a suicide mission saying, I will go and do this hard thing recognizing that it may cost me my life, but it's for the good of others. And so I'm willing to do it. Just last week, I think it was Sunday, last Sunday, I read in Jerusalem the story. And some of you, if you've been following some of the news, you may have seen this story. Uh, there's a Catholic cardinal, Pierre Battista Pizabala, has offered himself in exchange for the children that are being held, the Israeli children that are being held by Hamas. He willingly has said, if this is going to help someone else, if this will care for those children who should not be held hostage by a terrorist organization, I will give myself for them. I will put myself in harm's way to save others. And we should have that same kind of mindset about the church. Not necessarily thinking we're truly going to be laying down our lives for one another, but the willing of like, I will give up of my own will and my own desires for the good of this community. I'll live sacrificially if it's better for the community, if it's better for the church as a whole, instead of thinking what is best for me. We're called to live that way, to put others before ourselves in the church. And I know we looked at this previously, and we actually looked at it uh, more in depth when we walked through the book of Philippians. But Philippians 2, such a beautiful reminder of what we're called to in the church of sacrificial living for the good of others. If then... There's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way and having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Our Savior saved us, rescued us by literally giving of Himself, entirely giving up His life to redeem us, to, to save us and bring us into this community. And now we've been tasked with having that same heart of I will care more about the community as a whole and more about the other individuals here than I will myself. Living sacrificially for others. Jesus modeled that for us. And we've been called to live that out. So, 
The question is, will you answer the call to live sacrificially for the good of the church? For some of us, that may be willing to step in and serve in a ministry in a context that you may not feel completely comfortable in, or it's not that glamorous. There are jobs that most people think, I don't want to do that. Isn't there someone else that can do that? Like, can't we pay someone to do that? Will you answer the call to live sacrificially, not for yourself, but for the good of the church? We each are challenged with that. Maybe it's a willingness to step in and say, yes, I know I'm busy, but if it would be good for the body, for me to serve in some other capacity, then I'll be willing to step in and do that because I want what's best for the church. I want what's best for the community as a whole. The second thing for us from Nehemiah 11 is this. God's recreated community keeps worship central. God's recreated community keeps worship central. So I just want to point out a few verses. Verses 10 through 12, and then I'll read 16 and 22. Nehemiah 11 Starting in verse 10, the priest, Jediah, son of Jorib, Jachin and Sariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Meshulam, son of Zadok, son of Marioth, son of Ahitub, the chief official of God's temple and their relatives who did the work at the temple, 822, skipping down to verse 16, and Shabbatai and Jazabad from the heads of the Levites who supervised the work outside of the house of God. And down to verse 22. The leader of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, son of Benai, son of Hashabiah, son of Madaniah, son of Micah, of the descendants of Asaph, who were singers for the service of God's house. Over and over, this is just three places, but over and over, Again, we see worship being central to the work that they were doing there. They were keeping worship central. They were keeping their faith central to all that they were doing. They wanted to make sure that the work of God and that the worship of God was going to stay central to this new community that God was rebuilding. They wanted to make sure that the work of the house of the Lord was fulfilled, that it was always taken care of. And that for us is a challenge because we too need to keep worship central in our church. All that we do in our ministries of the church should be for that purpose. All that we do in our lives should be for that purpose. And the Western church especially can get distracted by bringing things in to entertain us, bringing things in to busy us that are not central to worship. It's actually a part of kind of culture over the last several decades. I can't remember the author, but uh, there was a book that came out maybe in the last 10, 20 years that's still applicable today called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And in the church, sometimes we want to think of things, of the ministry that we do, of the work that we do. We think, wouldn't it be cool if we did that? Wouldn't it be fun if we had that? And it's really important that we don't get distracted 
by those things that we lose worship. Because worship needs to be central. Think of the example of the early church. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, they devoted themselves, this is the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, skipping down to verse 46 and 47. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God. And enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Their faith was central to everything that they did in the early church. They gathered for the purposes of worship. They gathered for the purposes of growing in their faith. And so for us, let's too keep worship central To all that we do, not entertaining ourselves, not busying ourselves and distracting ourselves with activities, but worshiping the holy God who has rescued us, who has called us out of darkness into the light. And so let's ask the questions here at Dogwood Church as we think through the the ministry things that we're going to have here. How is this helping us become a people centered on worship? Lastly, in Nehemiah 11, wants to see this. God's recreated community thrives when each person does their part. God's recreated community thrives when each person does their part. This is a, another theme that we've already addressed back in Nehemiah 3, that everyone has a part to play. Everyone has a job that they can do. Everyone has a, a gift they can use. But here I want us to see that that's where community starts to thrive, is when everyone is doing their part. So I'm not going to read through all the list of names. But as we're seeing again, a list of all of these names and all the different things that were being done in all the different uh, areas we see again, God has a part for each person to play. God has a part for each person to play. The city and the people of God are better. They're better when each person is playing their part. Can they get by if somebody slips up on their part? Of course. But... The city is better. The people of God are better when every person is doing their part in the community. And so in 1 Corinthians, we've looked at this back when we were in Nehemiah 3. But a little bit further down in the Corinthians passage than what we looked at previously. Nehemiah, I'm sorry, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 18. But as it is... God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted it. And if they were born all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Every part is vital. Earlier in the chapter, it talks about how 
each part can't say, well, I'm not significant enough. I don't hold enough value because I'm not that part over there. Every part is vital. Paul is saying this is how a church thrives as the body of Christ, as a group of people that God has specifically specifically placed in this community, all gifted with different things that they can give. It really thrives when everyone is working together, doing their parts. Think of like a symphony orchestra, right? A large full-scale symphony orchestra has uh, sometimes a hundred different musicians playing flutes and oboes and trombones, tubas, percussion, violins, cellos, Many other instruments. And and a musician playing one of those instruments can do a beautiful thing. Right? You watch a skilled musician play their instrument. It can be a beautiful thing. It becomes a completely different thing. It becomes captivating and magical when an orchestra comes together. Everyone playing their part. So when you see them playing Beethoven's Symphony Number no. Three or Mozart's Number no. Forty One, it captivates the audience. It becomes exponential in what was done if an individual was playing their part alone. And I believe that's what the Lord desires for the church. I think that's what these passages that talk about us all having a part is showing us that the Lord has gifted us and is using us and wants us all to play our parts. And if we will, God will make something beautiful out of it. God will cause this community, this group of believers to truly thrive, not just exist, but thrive for his glory when all the pieces are working together. So we want Dogwood Church to be a thriving, healthy church. I know we do, every one of us. The follow-up question for us today is, are you willing to do your part for the good of the whole? I'm thankful for everyone that's here. I'm thankful for all the people who've signed up. You know, when we were in Nehemiah 3, we asked people to sign up. And we've already started working through getting people started on serving in some different capacities. And I'm thankful for the number of people that have come to me and said, like, I'm looking forward to to serving and doing my part. I want to help. That's such a tremendous blessing So, as each one of us steps into the roles that God has for us, we can be certain that if we do that for God's glory, that God is going to make something beautiful in this church. Because a church community thrives when every person is doing their part. So, as God is a rebuilding community... In this text, we've been reminded of the kind of community that he desires, the kind of community that can glorify God. And it's a challenge for us 
Are we willing to do what it's asking us to do? Are we willing to live sacrificially for the good of the whole and for God's glory? Are we willing to keep worship central because it's all about God? And we should be striving to, to worship Him in everything. And are we willing to be a part of the thriving community that, God's, that God desires? Doing the part that He has for us. And as we do, we know that it was we push into those things, God will be honored. God will be glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. Thank You. I thank You for this church. I thank You for, for this body of believers that wants to honor You. I pray that You keep shaping us. We thank You and praise You that You are shaping us. This is not just left up to us and our own strength, but you're working in us individually and as a church as a whole through your Holy Spirit. So work, Lord, for your glory. Shape us into the people that you want us to be. Build the community that you want built here so we can honor you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.